0: Today on It's Time. Why was it important for Messiah to come? Because the blood of bulls and goats could never reconcile us to God.
1: Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Follow along as we join Pastor Mike.
0: if you have your Bible, i like to invite you to open them to the book of Matthew, chapter 2. God knew exactly when He was to come to this world. Predetermined, not by accident, but when everything was completed. You know, before the Roman government took over, the highways of the world were unsafe. The world was united, but it wasn't united well. And one of the things the Roman government did was to instig- instill strict laws. Remember, Jesus was crucified between the thieves. He wasn't crucified between the murderers. Now, the reason why is Rome was tough on crime. And one of the things that they did do was clean up the roads. And the idea of the roads was so that Rome could move its armies from one place to another rapidly in case there was an insurrection. Now, why is that important? Well, in order to maintain your country, you had to be able to move troops rapidly. So they built roads everywhere and then patrolled them. Very useful for getting the gospel out once the good news had finally come. But we had a problem up to the time before then because, again, there wasn't the roads. They weren't safe. And so we remember the Greeks were there earlier and united the world under a common language. Up to that time, there was scattered dialects and all the different people spoke different languages. So the Greeks, before the Romans, went And established one common language. Well, we remember before that, the world was split up in different areas. And the Medes and the Persians, they went and united the world so that then the one language had come, then the roads could come, then the law and order could come for the gospel to be preached around the world. And before that, God had revealed to the nation of Israel the Messiah that was to come. Why was it important for a Messiah to come? Because the blood of bulls and goats could never reconcile us to God. Well, we're going to look today at an interesting part of this Christmas story, which actually we always see in the the manger scenes this time of the year, where the three wise men were there. Now, first of all, for everybody... The Bible never says there were three wise men. This is something that was concluded from the gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and every one of these wise men bringing a gift. But we don't know how many were really in this entourage that came to see Jesus. Some estimate there could be as many as 30 people that came or more. We don't know. All we know is that there were three gifts that were given by the wise men. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word this morning, we ask you that you give us wisdom, insight, and things, perhaps, God, that we have not seen before, that God would help us better understand the time and the place when you came to this world. And so we ask you now that your Holy Spirit would communicate your truth to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the Bible tells us here in chapter 2 of the book of Matthew. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, you might notice again, it says, Now, after Jesus was born. Now, we remember it says that they came to the house. Jesus was born in a manger, so it wasn't the same night that this all happened, as we're going to get up here a little bit farther. But notice it says, "'Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, "'Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? "'For we have seen his star in the east, and have come to worship him. "'And when Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him.' Now, this is why I believe it was more than simply three wise men and a couple of donkeys. I believe that these guys came into town, everybody saw them, and when they found out their purpose was to come and worship the king, I believe this is what set the city of Jerusalem on edge. Now, he says here, when he heard these things, he was troubled. Why? Because Herod was a person that thought it was all about him. In fact, as a matter of fact, as we look at this, we're going to see three different kinds of people here in these first couple of verses that are still in existence today. The first one we find here is we find the wise men coming from the East. True wise people worship God. The second we find Herod. And there's people like that today that know about God, but they're antagonistic towards God. And now we're going to find the third. And when he had gathered the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. Well, they said in in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written, the prophet, he says, but you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are you not least among the rulers of Judah? For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, you find that the wise men came to worship. Herod was there antagonistically, and the religious people of the day were indifferent. They just didn't know, really didn't care. Oh, yeah, we are already supposed to be born in Bethlehem. That's about all we know. And I really find today, there's those same three groups of people today. There are those who truly want to worship the king. There are those that are antagonistic towards God and the gospel. And there are those that just don't care. And everybody's in one of those three categories. What category are you in? I think everybody sometimes needs to understand where we are. Because again, you'll find, and you say, well, I really don't know. Well, maybe I can help you a little bit here. What, care, what gang of people do you hang out with? The Bible tells us in Proverbs, you're known by the company you keep. In other words, if I hang out with a bunch of people who don't care who Jesus is, it's going to influence me in one way or another. If I hang out with people who worship God, I'm going to be drawn closer to the king. And the other is if I'm around a bunch of people who don't care, I'm going to find myself not caring. So when we understand here that Jesus came at the right time, at the right place, for a right purpose, we realize that his coming, when he came, and by the way, friends, as long as that little baby that was born in the manger never gets out of that manger, he's okay with most everybody. But it's when the little baby gets out of the manger, boy, I'll tell you, that's when it all changes, doesn't it? Because you know God loves us just as we are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. And I like that about God. In other words, we're under constant refinement. Friends, we need to be under refinement. In other words, if we're we're staying where we were at yesterday in our relationship with God, we're not growing. And if we're not growing, well, you know what that means. We're dying. And so we have to continue to grow in our relationship with God. Now, that's one of the things I think is great about Sunday morning, at least it should be, a time of growth, a time of looking at Scripture. Also, we have our own personal commitment with Christ, which I think is also extremely important. And when we do these things, I believe we begin to grow more into what God wants us to be. We are His children, and we need to hear His voice. Now, again, there's probably nothing that gets a burr under my saddle any more than religion. And what I mean by religion is this. Religion that says that you perform to get God's attention. Because the minute somebody tells me that, that tells me they don't even know who God is. And here's why. Because a true born-again child of God reckons with their God as father, as daddy. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father which art in heaven. That isn't some concept that's obscure. That's the way Jesus told us we need to relate with God. That, again, is what was lost in the garden. And so when we set religion aside, in other words, I'm going to perform certain deeds, certain acts, to get the attention of God that in some way I'll get what I want from God. Well, that's not the way God works. Friends, it's a relationship with God, not religion. I do this, then God, you do that. And so we go back to the legal relationship with God when we fail. So this is the problem with the law. This is what the law in the Old Testament could never produce. The law of the Old Testament can never produce a loving relationship with God. Why? Because it's the law. Now, I think we all understand our needs for laws. I mean, we want to have it where people don't go speeding down our streets at 100 miles an hour and you can't, you know, just go running down the street shooting and stabbing people. We like laws. Laws are good. But laws doesn't cause a love relationship. This is what was missing with the law. This is why Jesus said... That God so loved the world, that no longer would it be rules and regulations, but God would write what he wants on our hearts. Why is that important? Because it's no longer performance, it's relationship. Performance says, I will do this, this, and this. Then God, you're obligated to do this, this, and this. But that's not really love. That's legal. If I go to work from 8 to 5, then I get my paycheck on Friday. That's the way it works. But when I just say, Lord, I'm here to serve you, realizing that you're good to me, whether it be in this life or the life to come, God, you're going to be good to me, and I just want you to know I love you. Friends, that takes it from mechanical religion to a personal relationship. And that's the problem, and that's what the law could never produce. And so when we understand this, and this is why, again, David in the Old Testament, in fact, if you go to as an example, Psalm 72. And when you look at this wonderful Psalm, in fact, let's just turn there real quick, and we'll just go over to it, and you'll see that David understood that there was going to be a king that was going to come, that was going to change everything. And this is why, again, when they, Herod sent to the, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and all, the religious sect, he said, where is this Christ supposed to be born? Oh, they said, oh, in Bethlehem. Well, here's the problem with that. If they knew that and they understood that, why weren't they prepared for it? David, and this, by the way, friends, as we looked last week, we looked at the last book of the Old Testament. And we looked at the last book of the Old Testament that we knew that someday Messiah would come and turn the hearts of the children and the children back to their fathers again. This psalm is a very unusual psalm. This was written by King David on his deathbed. This is the last writing of King David. This is, you might say, his last will and testament. And he wrote it in part to Solomon. In fact, uh, some of it says a song of Solomon. But it's actually, if your Bible says that, you might want to change that word there because it's not a song of Solomon. It's a psalm to Solomon. David writes this on his deathbed to his son. And he writes it with such accuracy because it predicts Jesus Christ what he was going to do, and the relationship God wanted to have with the people. Now, you've got to remember, that on the other side of this, during the time of King David, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, and all that, they were carrying out the mechanical relationship with God. But David understood past the mechanical relationship, past the do's and don'ts. He understood that personal relationship with God that he needed. And it's reflected in his writings. And this is why God says he was a man after God's own heart. And let's look at what it says. Give the king your judgments, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. So this was really a prayer to God concerning Solomon. In fact, if it, well, let's, just do, let's just do something we don't normally do. Let's go to the very last verse in chapter 72. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. This is the last verse book he wrote. So last week we looked at the last book of the Old Testament. Today we're looking at the last book, King David, the son of Jesse, the descendant, the offspring of David, the Bible says concerning who Jesus was. Give the king your judgments, O God, your righteousness to the king's son. He will judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. The mountains will bring peace to the people. And the little hills by righteousness. He will bring justice to the poor of the people, and he will save the children of the needy, and will break in pieces the oppressor. They will fear you, and you shall, and as long as the sun and the moon shall endure throughout all generations. He shall come down like rain upon the mown grass, and like showers that the water the earth." In his days, the righteousness shall flourish and abundance of peace until the moon is no more. And he shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. Those who dwell in the wilderness will bow before him. By the way, when you see this, it shows you the magnitude of the one that was to come, this Jesus the magnitude, and for the Pharisees to really be indifferent concerning the birth of Christ was really pretty uncalled for. It shows you the religious system at the time that Jesus was born was really completely lack of any inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And again, I believe that if the God doesn't inspire His Word, you might as well read a phone book. That's why a lot of people have told me before, These are well, I tried reading the Bible, and it reads like a phone book. Well, I agree. If your Holy Spirit hasn't inspired it, man, the Bible says the letter of the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. What side of the fence are you on? You need to be inspired by God. You need to be tuned into the wavelength that wrote the Bible so you go, oh, hey, this thing is kind of written in code. Sure is, friends. Written by that invisible Holy Spirit that goes out and convicts the world of their sins, and so he says his enemies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarsus, and by the way, Tarsus was the farthest known world away. In fact, if you remember, uh, Jonah was got a ticket to, to, you know, he was he was on his way out. They, they were going as far away as they could. Tarsus is this faraway place. This king of Tarshish will bring presents and the kings of Sheba and and Seba will offer gifts. Yes, the kings will fall down before him and all the nations will serve him. For he will deliver the needy when he cries and the poor also and him who has no helper. By the way, isn't that great to know that you got somebody that's gonna walk alongside of you that's gonna help you when you need help? I like that. You know, we want to trust our friends to do that, but our friends oftentimes will fail. But God will never fail you. He will always be there to take care of you. He will spare the poor and the needy. He will save the souls of the needy. He will redeem their life from the oppressor and the violence, and precious shall be their blood in his sight. And he shall live And the gold of Sheba will be given to him. Prayers will also be made for him continually, and daily he shall be praised. And by the way, friends, he is right now in heaven. I pray he is in your heart today. And someday on this earth, when he reigns for a thousand years, all these verses that you're reading will come true. And there will be an abundance of grain in the earth, on top of the mountains. Its fruit shall wave like Lebanon. And those of the city shall flourish like the grass of the earth. And by the way, I don't know if you've ever seen here in the summertime in Idaho, you see the wind blow on the dried fields of grain, perhaps the wheat. It comes and kind of swirls across the grain. It's really kind of neat how it does that. That's what it's saying. That's where the grain's going to be, food's going to be in abundance. His name shall endure forever. He shall continue as long as there is a sun. And men shall be blessed by him, and all the nations shall call him blessed. Blessed is the Lord God, God of Israel, who do, only does wondrous things. And blessed is his glorious name forever, and the whole earth will be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. This is what David wrote. This was on his heart. This was his last umph, you might say, concerning the Messiah that was to come. Why was David a man after God's own heart? Because he looked for Messiah. That's why. The wise men were looking for Messiah. And by the way, a lot of people have asked the question, well, how did the wise men of the East know to be looking for a Messiah? Well, it's interesting if you remember when God allowed Babylon to conquer Israel actually the last two tribes, and carry him off captive to Babylon. And there they were for 70 years. What was assimilated in that was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know the three guys they got thrown in the fiery furnace? Remember Daniel, who got lowered down into the lion's den? Well, they were carried away captive to Babylon. But these guys were spokesmen for God. They were prophets, and they told of a Messiah that was to come. That's why they knew to look for a Messiah. That's why the wise men knew. And by the way, the renown of David and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, again, being thrown into the fiery furnace. These guys were, I don't know, you could do a sitcom with these guys. But uh, we remember that um, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. Woke up in the morning, couldn't remember what he dreamed. And so he called all of his wise men together and he said, I had a dream last night. It troubled me exceedingly. I can't remember what my dream was, so tell me what it means. And they said to him, they said, look, Nebuchadnezzar lived forever, but nobody has ever asked anything so ridiculous of anybody at any time. You had a dream. You can't remember the dream. You want us to tell you what your dream is and what it means. We can't do that. And he goes, you know what? I pay you guys to be smart. And if you can't tell me what I dreamed, and if you can't tell me what it means, I don't need you around. off with your head. Well, that certainly puts a twist on the whole matter, doesn't it? And David said, tell the king to cool his jets. This is a Mike paraphrase. He goes, the God of heaven will tell you what you dreamed and what it means. And David was brought in before Nebuchadnezzar and he said, Nebuchadnezzar, what you saw in your dream is you saw a statue, had a head of gold, shoulders of silver, stomach of brass, legs of iron and feet of iron and clay. He said, you Nebuchadnezzar, you're the first world governing power, but your kingdom is going to be replaced the shoulders of silver. And so he went through and broke down the stomach of brass, the Grecian Empire, the legs of iron, the Roman Empire. And finally, the last, the feet of iron and clay, the last world governing empire will be mixed. But clay doesn't mix with iron. Probably a democratic union, I think, kind of what we're seeing form right now in the world. Nebuchadnezzar gets an idea. Really? Instead of a multi-layered statue like I saw in my dream, I will make my statue that I saw all gold. The idea, of course, if I make it all gold, it won't be replaced by the shoulders of silver, the Meo-Persian Empire, or the Grecian Empire, the stomach of brass, or the Roman Empire, the legs of iron, or the last one. He said, by the way... And there was a big rock that came rolling down out of the mountain and hit your statue and smashed it into pieces. And out of that grew God's empire.
1: Thanks for joining us on It's Time, as Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening and tune in next time for It's Time.